The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. I'm Bill Donahue. I'll be taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night, the 14th day of February 2021. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is with us right across the way, and we have got a great show lined up for you as always tonight. Up first, we'll talk to a former Mets reliever, also played on the 1986 World Champion team. Doug Sisk will join us. And in the second half, we'll welcome in another champion, Stanley Cup winner and former Islander Bob Bourne will speak with us. So just sit back, relax, enjoy Sports Talk New York tonight on GBB. We've got some great people and some great stories up ahead. As always, social media, we're out there on Facebook, WGBB Sports Talk New York. So much information, show information, stop by and look and like us. Uh, Twitter, we're on Twitter at, at WGBB Sports Talk, and you can follow me on Twitter at B. Donahue WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't worry about it, because they're all out on the website, cataloged, waiting for you to listen to them. So enjoy yourself with that. Our first guest, he played for the Mets, Orioles, and Braves in his Major League career. He was a member of the great 1986 World Championship team, uh, working out of the bullpen. He was also on the 83 Mets Ball Club, a team that had the great Tom Seaver on it, and we'll speak to him about Tom. It's a pleasure to welcome in tonight Doug Sisk. Doug, good evening. How are you doing? Great. Great to have you with us. How's the weather out in Washington? Uh, we got a lot of snow. Yeah. For us, that's just quite a bit. Yeah, so where I live, we probably got, oh, all just under a foot. Oh, so boy. Quite a bit. Yeah, it's been a pretty brutal winter for most folks in, in the lower 48, as they say. But uh, it is wintertime. So uh, growing up out, yeah. in, out in Washington State, Doug, who were your sports teams and favorite players when you were a kid? Uh, for me, uh, in baseball, it was probably the Mets. I grew up, I could name everybody that played on the, on the Mets, and, of course, the 69 team. And probably in football, probably the Baltimore, not the Baltimore Colts, uh-huh. uh, Johnny Uniteds and all that, that group. I mean, it was a fun fun time to watch it. Of course, it was all in black and white back then. Sure was, yeah. Great, another great team, those Baltimore Colt ball clubs. Now, you you hurt yourself oh, yeah. hurt yourself early on throwing a wiffle ball at the paper boy. Yeah. Tell us about the paper that. Boy was, <laughs> he was teasing, teasing my dog. And oh, man. I wasn't really supposed to be doing anything, and I threw the wiffle ball at him as hard as I could, and I felt a pop, and of course, back then I was just a you know not even a high school pitcher yet. I didn't hadn't even played on varsity, so there was no big repercussions or anything. So uh, they took me into the doctor and said, Ah, you know, I've torn some ligaments in the elbow, and you know, you, you might uh, you might be best not to throw for a, quite a while. And I didn't. Yeah. I just kept throwing anyway. So you know, as normal people would do, you don't pay attention to doctors. Right. But but you hit the guy, right? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Him. Okay. Yeah. That's the main thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and literally you know that, that later on in baseball uh, career, you know, uh, uh, accidentally hitting somebody in the game was, uh, uh, you know, it, it, uh, I, was, I was prepared for it. Yeah, right, H- having been uh, raised a, a, a brushback man, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, great. No kidding. Now, uh you not only threw baseballs in high school, but you were pretty pro- proficient with a rifle. Yeah, our, our uh, high school uh, had a rifle team. In fact, the, the Tacoma City League had it, had rifle teams there, and uh, we were one of the best in the nation at that point, and uh, we had several people on that team that were really, really good. And I ended up getting a scholarship to Washington State University in, uh, on the rifle team, and then I, I turned it down. And uh, wanted to play baseball at the junior college level, mm-hmm. and also was uh, invited to the uh, preliminaries uh, for the Olympics in uh, in the mid mid east there 
back in 19, it would have been the 76 Olympics. It was not a non-metal sport at that point, but mm-hmm. one of the girls on our club made it. Oh boy, yeah. Something to be proud of. Well, you weren't oh, drafted, yeah. weren't drafted due to your arm injury, the paperboy incident, as we'll call it. Uh, but, <laughs> but you signed as a free agent with the Mets anyway. Yeah, you know, the, the really interesting thing about that, our team at Washington State University, the entire team that were eligible were taken in the draft, pretty much everybody. And wow. that was a lot of players taken at that team. And our, man, our coach back then, you know, he was going to have to scrabble, really scrabble to get, get some players uh, for next year. So, yeah, myself and uh, another pitcher at that point were the only two players that were not drafted and were taken as free agents, myself. And um, Tom Needenfuer, who okay. ended up going with uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Right. We every we know recognize Tom for sure. Now, in rookie league ball at Kingsport, you were a starter, mm-hmm. but uh, they moved you into the bullpen on your next move to Lynchburg, right? Yeah, I I wasn't happy about it. I I led the league, uh, the Appalachian League, in, in wins, I think, and ERA, and maybe innings pitched, and all that, and. And then uh, the next year, you know, I got the promotion to uh, High A, which was Lynchburg. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had some good uh, draft picks uh, in that starting rotation. And uh, I don't think they really knew where they were going to put me, so they put me in the bullpen. Maybe we had Jeff Bittiger and uh, Jay Tibbs and Jeff Bentdorf, all, all high draft pick guys. And I felt at that point that I was kind of, you know, they just didn't know what to do with me. So I uh, struggled a bit there as well. And yeah. it was, uh, you know, it's a tough league. Now, you had a third move, which was a promotion to AA, and that's in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, you're managed there by Davey Johnson. Yeah, that year, uh, when I was in Able, I got promoted to AA and uh, went to Jackson, and Davey was the manager. We ended up winning the Texas League Championship uh, that year, and uh, yeah, uh, the, 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 the very odd thing that happened during that period of time is I was just lights out and... Uh, the, the, the scouting department and, uh, people were getting these, these reports coming in from Davy Johnson saying, oh, who is this guy? Where'd you get this guy? This guy's just like lighting it up. And mm-hmm. the other roving instructors who had seen me early in the year just say, are you still talking about the same guy? And eventually I went, uh, was promoted to instructional league that year, which is down in Florida. That's where the prospects go. And, uh, the, it was the first time that, Bill Mumbo Cat had seen me pitch in quite some time, and when he saw me throw, he looked at me. He says, "Oh my God, you're going to be in the big leagues next year. What happened to you? What did you eat?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was no answer to it. Bill Mumbo really Cat, yeah, what a great baseball name that is, Bill Mumbo Cat. Remember him with the, with the Mets, and of course with the Yankees as well uh, here yep. in New, New York. Now, in '82, you're still at Jackson, as as we uh, said. A lot of success, eleven and seven record, two point six seven ERA, and uh, still in relief. But you earned a late season call up to New York in '82. Yeah, what they did was I was in, in relief, and then something happened in the starting rotation, and they asked me if I wanted to start. I said sure, so I ended up uh, pitching like a hundred and I don't know twenty innings, one hundred fifty innings. I don't know, I'm not sure, and. Ended up leading the league in wins, earn run average. And the Texas League, that's tough because of the Midland and El Paso and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Amarillo. The ball just flies out of that area. So, yeah, I, uh, we ended up going to the Texas League Championship, and I was scheduled to throw the next day, and we lost that game, which kicked us out. So came back into the locker room, and I was in there and finishing up the report on the, you know, on the pitching stuff, and, uh, Gene Dusan was the manager, called me into the office, says, Doug, I need to see you. And I go, oh, okay. I just assumed they, they wanted the, uh, the paperwork and then, you know, you know, the typical, yeah, what are you going to do at the end of the season? You're going to go down to instructional league and all that. Well, I walked into the clubhouse in his office and there was, uh, Frank Cashin and Joe McElvain and, and our super scout, which was Harry Miner back then, great scout. Mm-hmm. They're all standing there looking at me, and I'm going, what is this all about? Yeah. You know, they kind of snuck in under the radar, and then they explained to me that, hey, you know, you ever heard of that guy that was a non-drafted ball player, and blah, 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 well, that guy's going to be going to Pittsburgh tomorrow to pitch for the New York Mets, and I lost it. Yeah. It was a shock. 
Amazing. I had no idea. Myself and Ron Reynolds were called up at the same time from AA. Yeah. Ron Reynolds, people may forget, uh, was a catcher in the Mets organization for yeah. for several years. Now, uh, you make your debut, Doug. Uh, Doug Sisk with us tonight on the program. September 6th against the Buccos, uh, you pitched a scoreless yeah. inning. You remember your debut? That, yeah, that, that one I thought I will never forget. Um, it was Willie Stargell Day. Uh, they had packed the stadium, which is not easy there sometimes. You know, there's a Steeler, a Steelers, uh, group. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, they're, I think for everybody that brought a can of soup or something in, they got a free ticket. So they packed it. And, uh, we were losing in like the eighth inning. And, uh, Joe, uh, uh, Bambi ended up putting me in the ball game. And that was probably the smartest thing that man ever did was to get it over with. And we were down by a couple of runs and uh, ended up facing the first guy, got him out, second guy got him out. And timeout, pinch it for, uh, I don't know who it was. Uh, they brought Willie Stargell in to hit. And I went two balls and no strikes on him, and they booed. And they didn't want me to walk him or do something, so I threw a ball down the middle and got a base hit. So that was my first base hit I gave up in the major leagues was to Willie Stargell. Could have been his last hit. I don't know have to do some check finding. I will on check that on that and I will get back to you. That's an interesting fact. Doug. No, no, no yeah. problem. And then um, September 15th, you face one batter in an extra inning game against the Expos, another Hall of Famer, but he takes you deep. Yeah, you know, that was a really cold, cold night there, and he he hit it hard. Um, it had to to get it out of that ballpark. And I got to tell you, man, I... I don't mind giving it up to a big guy like that. And, you know, he, he ended up, uh, winning the ball game and I think the Expos were in it at that point for the playoffs. Uh, so it was an extremely important game for the Expos and, uh, I walked off the field kind of, you know, like a boxer that had been dinged in the face and kind of shook it up a little bit. Um, but it just kind of reminded me where it was at. For people who are wondering who it was, it's the Hawk, Andre Dawson, who gave up, uh, who Doug uh, gave up his first home run in, in his career, too. And, and that was the only run you allowed in, uh, in 1982, was that home run. That was the only uh, run while you were up. Yeah, you know, and, and he got me in a lot of games as well. I mean, he got me in as much as he could. And, and I don't think George Bamberger had ever seen me pitch before or anything. And, you know, he, he wanted to find out what was going on as well. And, um, you know, I went over a lot of guys to get up there, you know, a lot of guys that were in AAA and, and, uh, you know, at that point you could see the organization was really starting to make some changes. I mean, we were, uh, they let go some guys that made some trades with Tom Houseman for, for the left-hander Carlos Diaz. And, um, right. you know, there was yeah. some, some things going on. Jesse Orozco was coming, starting to come into his own and, and you could see where, you know, things were starting to change. We spoke a little bit about Bambi, George Bamberger, Doug. Now, he uh-huh. he kind of had some problems from what I can see with the Mets. I know him and Swanee, there was something with him and Craig Swan where uh, he, he just didn't agree with everything George did. Now, what, what did you see about Bamberger? No, I never – I love George Bamberger. He, he was a – he had a lot of pressure on himself, and I mm-hmm. think put more of it on himself. But I – I enjoyed him. I thought he was, uh, you know, he had a lot of uh, experience, obviously, especially with the Orioles and all that. And um, I, I, you know, he just let me play. That's all he did. He never tried to micromanage anybody. He was, he was just trying to figure it out himself on um, what to do and and how to grow the organization and get it better. Yeah, he was re- he was really put into that position as, as we said by Frank uh-huh. Cashin as a favor. You know, and, and like you said, he was just trying to find out what he should do. <laughs> and, and he probably yeah, was yeah, in the wrong was, place. <laughs> no, he was the pitching coach and the manager at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, they're, yeah. So we, we had, you know, a guy in the bullpen with us and, and then, uh, you know, Bam Bambi, of course, stepped down in the middle of the season in 83 and uh, he'd had enough. Now, 83, uh, Mark Seaver's return. The, there was the ball game, Seaver against Carlton, and you, you get into that game that Seaver starts in 1983. Yeah, you know, if, if anybody would have told me prior to that game I was going to be in there, I probably wouldn't have showed up at the ballpark. I'd have been petrified. Yeah. But, yeah, it happened so quickly. I was, I was uh, told, hey, you know, his leg's bad or his back or something's stiffening up. You're, you're in the game. There was no, you know, are you ready? You know, you're, you're in the ball game. And, uh, yeah, I ended up, uh, facing a team that, uh, 
that had uh, quite a few Hall of Famers on it. And, you know, to see those guys up there like Joe Morgan and Mike Schmidt and Tony Perez and, and guys like that, you know, and all you've ever seen is them on TV watching them with the, you know, the big red machine and all was just sure. like, it happened so fast that it was, I never really got a chance to, to get scared. Yeah, that was probably a good thing, Doug. Yeah, now, uh, yeah. what what did you get from Tom Seaver? Uh, did he treat you well? Uh, did he give you any tips? Talk about Tom Seaver with the Mets in '83. You know, Tom Seaver was a was a guy to me. He was really good to me. Um, uh, he he as long as you didn't bug him, as long as you didn't hang around him all the time and bug him, he 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 white guys that like to work hard you know and he would invite you into his pepper game if you like yeah interesting and uh of course tom gets away from new from the new york mets again heads uh to chicago and uh just just one of the go ahead Doug. quite a bit yeah going you know he asked me out for a beer one night and it just kind of drove wow it just blew me away i'm going oh my god <laughs> I watched him on TV along with Jerry Kuzman and that whole group, and uh, yeah, and, and you know with our names with the S at the beginning of them, we we gave blood at the same time. We did all the medical stuff, so I got to hang around him quite a bit. That's great. Oh, some great stories from Doug Sis tonight about the great Tom Seaver. Now, yeah, in, in '85, you had some lingering I- injuries that mm-hmm. hindered you, didn't you, Doug? Yeah, you know, I started to to get a little bit of an issue in the late part of '84, um, and '84 was was just tearing it up very early, about halfway through the season, and I started to feel a little bit of of pain and stuff. But you know, um, you, you you take the ball and you go, um, and that's the way I've always looked at it. And the competition was Jesse and myself, and I believe we were well in '83. We were the first two relief pitchers to to have double digits and saves, and then in '84 we did it again. Um, which you probably won't ever see again. Who knows the way the way the game goes? But yeah, I was having some issues. Uh, mostly it was in my in my elbow, and then finally uh, in '85. I mean, the fans were all over me pretty good, and I started to get into it a little bit better towards the end. Uh, as far as pitching and dodge against the Dodgers, I got a win. I think I got a win against San Francisco and a save. I think in San Diego, and things were starting to to, to come back and. Um, got into Montreal and uh, threw through a bit of an inning or two, and, and all of a sudden, you know, sat in between. I couldn't get my arm out of my jacket. My my elbow had locked up. I had bone chips in there. Oh so, man, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's you know, the fans didn't know much about it. They just were glad that I wasn't pitching. I think at that point, but for me, it was kind of devastating because I didn't know what was wrong. And you know, you know how it is. You go under the knife. You don't know what's going to happen. And um. And all they kept saying, "Ah, oh, just put ice on it." I go, "No, nah, ice isn't going to help at this time." Yeah, this right. And then they took me in uh, the day uh, to uh, to to do an X-ray in uh, in New York, and uh, they they looked. They said, "Yeah, your arm looks like buckshot. You've got bone chips, bone spur. You've got all kinds of stuff in there. It's going to even have to have surgery." And I got back to the ballpark, and I'm in the clubhouse there, and uh, Davey comes into the into the room where we have all of our food and drinks and stuff, and he puts his arm around me and goes, hey, how long have you known this has been going on? I says, man, I don't know. I just, I was just like hit with a left and a right and found out a little while later that my wife was expecting uh, our first child, too. So it was all happening at the same time. That's the way I like to do it, you know. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, of course, the operation was held on my birthday in uh, September, uh, at Roosevelt Hospital during the hurricane in 1985. So what kinds of fun stuff going on? Yeah, a, a wonderful life, as they say, Doug. That <laughs> c- certainly, <laughs> certainly is. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because you get to the to the hospital and you got all the reporters following you like you're some kind of a, you know, a, the, the Pomerasi group, and they're following you and they're waiting at the hospital for you thinking, yeah, you know, what, what, what else have I got wrong with me? You yeah. Know? Oh man! Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was a whirlwind, and that was my wife's first year in New York, and she was going. God, I thought they liked you. Yeah. Gee, Christmas. I mean, it was it was it was pretty hectic for her. You put up with a lot, Doug, to, to say the least. You put up with uh, these people here. They can make your day, or they can kill you, as as you know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, and you yep. re- you really faced well, it well, but it was taking a toll on you. 
It did, and, and you know what, and eventually, I think uh, subconsciously more than anything, I was up for the challenge in most cases, but, you know, when they're starting to, 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 to just be hurtful for no reason, uh, you know, I pitch in a good game and have people follow me home, you know, and didn't know what, what their intentions were or have my wife leave the ball game because she just couldn't deal with it. And back then, you guys, you guys got to remember, back in our family section, this is the area where you give your immediate family tickets right. you know, to your immediate family. Sometimes these people, friends, would get these tickets of these people because they couldn't go, and they'd give them to other friends that were a, were, were a, and they'd be sitting in the immediate family section behind home plate, and they you know it got pretty hectic back there between Mets fans and Philly fans, and then fans just that didn't like so and so playing or whatever. I mean, it was very vocal, but it ended up getting to be a point where she just didn't really want to even go to the ball games. No, yeah, t- time to make a move. That- that's easily understood. I just wanted to ask yeah. you, Doug, be- before we we get yeah. in- get into that stuff any further, the '86 ball yeah. club. Now, one thing I read: Did you warn those guys not to go to Cooters in Houston? Yes, I did. I and I don't know why I can tell you this, but I can because <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. But, but yeah, you know, my cousins cousin lives in Del Texas, and he used to come to a lot of games in Double A ball and. Uh, that particular night, uh, they say, hey, we're all going out to Cooters. I think it might have been Timmy Tuffle's, uh, the son was born or something. I, I don't really remember. And they said, yeah, you want to come out with us? You go on with us? And I go, man, I'm not, you know, my cousins are in town. I'm going to hang out with them. Do not go to Cooters. Yeah. And they say, well, why, man? It's a great place. We hear, no, no. Anytime you go into a place that has a metal detector when you walk in, you don't go in there. And they got a lot of off-duty <laughs> police officers that are, you know, there to make a little extra money, uh, and uh, and besides that, I got in a brawl there myself back in 1983. Man, uh, and they said, yeah. "Wow, we never heard about that. We never heard about it." And I said, "Well, that's because I kept my mouth shut." Right. Now, I'm telling you right now, a little a little bird just landed on your elbow and just told you, "Do not go there. Go somewhere else." And by God, if they didn't, and you know, the rest is history. Unbelievable for for folks that may be unfamiliar. Yeah. Just just uh, Google Mets uh, and in Houston, Cooter's Bar and Grill, whatever it's Ooh. called. And as Doug said, the rest is history because uh, a lot of garbage went down that night. And, and uh, oh, there was some repercussions. And uh, it was just part of that, oh. that season, that 86 season. How about that ball club, Doug? Talk to us a little about the 86 ball club. Yeah, you know, I don't think you're ever going to see anything like this ever again, a team like that. I mean, we, we worked hard, we played hard, we, 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 you know, we were very, uh, uh, passionate about, about winning games. I mean, winning, right. not playing good, but winning. And nowadays you see, you know, they're all worried about the pitch counts or, or they're worried about this or they're worried about that. But by God, it's, it's downright winning. And if we didn't, players didn't do well or something happened in the clubhouse, I mean, other players were calling other guys out. But in the same essence, if you got in a brawl on the field, that guy was the first one right there to help you. Mm-hmm. So we were we were very close as a, as a team, and and uh, and and but there was different characters, different groups, different guys, different age brackets. I mean, and and everybody helped everybody. That was the bottom line. And uh, you know, I can't think of anything that's going to be in baseball like that ever again. I. I I'll say this, and I hope everybody doesn't get all weird about it. But if they had, if they had cell phones back in those days, we probably wouldn't have played too many games. We'd all been in jail. And yeah. it's, it's a good. I mean, that's a good thing. I'm not saying because of stupid, you know. But but the way people are following everybody anymore, and the way these guys got to stay in, and all this and all that back then. Oh God, no. We we we. We played hard. We win. We celebrate, and that's the that was the bottom and line. From there, it was a bacchanalian orgy. Yeah, un- understood. Doug. Yeah. <laughs> now, tell us a little bit about the Scum Bunch. People may not know about the Scum Bunch. You you know that 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 is a really interesting thing. Almost what? How many years? Forty years now? Right. Five yeah. years? I don't. Even, you know. We we were a group. It was like four of us. It was Walt Terrell was involved in that until we got uh, traded uh, to Detroit. But it was me, Jesse, and Danny Heat. We were really the three that that sat in the back of the plane. And, and then you'd have the other group, which would be Ron Darling and, and Aggie, and that group, which would middle. <laughs> right, Brian? Yeah. 
we've been talking to Doug Sisk from the 86 Met Ball Club about that 86 team and uh, about some of the things that folks may not know about that 86 team. And we were having a nice chat until the service was interrupted. And uh, I guess we lost him. He's gone? Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll break then. Thanks, Brian. We'll, we thank Doug for taking some time with us, and uh, we'll try to get him back on another evening. Uh, up next on Sports Talk New York, we'll talk to a Stanley Cup champion, Mr. Bob Bourne from the Islanders. So stick around, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Alright folks, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to Sports Talk New York here on WGBB from beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island. I was just texting Doug Sisk. Uh, we have to bring him back on another show to finish some of the great stories he was telling us, uh, about the 86 Mets. Always an enjoyable topic, whether it's Lenny Dykstra, Ron Darling, Daryl Strawberry, whoever we have on the show. Hojo, my friend Howard Johnson, a fellow Buccaneer fan, and uh, we'll get him back on. Uh, I hope you like the new format of the show. Of course, we got a new logo, a new site, new presence on social media. But uh, the same great sports talk that we've been bringing you since uh, 2009 or so. I tell you, they must be giving the vaccine out at this CVS next door, uh, Brian. Either that or, or they're giving away free beer or something because there's a huge line out front. And uh, it's nice to know that uh, the vaccine is being distributed and it is working. And uh, we'll move right along here. Our next guest, he's an all-time great Islander. He won four Stanley Cups in his career. He's a member of the Islanders Hall of Fame. And his number 14 should be retired by the team. Let's welcome warmly tonight Bob Bourne. Bob, good evening. Hey, Bill. How are you? Oh, we're doing good here. We're doing good, Bob. How are things out in British Columbia? Uh, they're good. Uh, we've had the best winter here. I, I've been here 30 years, so it's the best winter I've ever had. We have absolutely no snow. Oh, so wow. That's, that's a rarity, right? Um, no, like right if it's kind of, you know, we, we don't get a lot of snow, and then if we do, it's gone the next day. So, no, it's, it's a great place to live. Outstanding. Well, when you were a kid growing up in, in that area, Bob, who were your favorite teams and your favorite players back then? Oh, God, well, like, I was a huge uh, Bobby Hall fan. I, I guess the Blackhawks, um... I, I could probably name 10 players off that team. There was, there was Bobby Hall, there was Stan Makita, Eric Nesterenko, Bill White, uh, Pat Stapleton. Uh, oh, yeah, some great course, names. Tony Estesi was a goalie. And, yeah, I was a Chicago fan, and uh, we were funny in our family. Uh, my brother was a Boston fan, and my dad was a Toronto fan. So, uh, yeah, there were a lot of guys there. That uh, I just absolutely adored, and uh, one of the reasons I always wanted to wear number fourteen was Davy Keon from Toronto. Ah, okay, so Davy Keon. Yeah, interesting. Now, um, yeah, people may not realize, Bob, you were a very skilled baseball player. You, you uh, with 
the uh, minor league affiliate uh, in Covington, Kentucky, the Covington Astros. You belong to the Houston Astros, and you platooned at first base with a future Hall of Famer by the name of Clark Gillies. Yeah, that is such a funny story. Yeah. Um, Clarky had played there the year before me. Like, he'd gone down there when he was 16. I went down when I was 17. And, uh, I actually went, I actually went to Florida. We were in Pogo Beach uh, during the Astros, um, spring training. And then I got shipped off to Covington, Virginia, and Clarky and I, yeah, we put him in there. He was right-handed, I was left-handed, but he was also a catcher, so he played a lot more than I did. Uh-huh. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a great summer for for both of us. That's a very interesting story. I found that. Uh, it Bob, really is. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Now, you were drafted by the Kansas City Scouts in 1974, but you never played for them because the architect, Bill Torrey, uh, made a trade for you, traded uh, from the Islanders Larry Horning and a, one of the great hockey names of all time, Bart Crashley. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, Bart Crashley so right. w- went to uh, Kansas City, and uh, you were brought into the Islanders. Yeah. I was so fortunate then, I was so fortunate, uh, because the, uh, the president of the Western Hockey League at the time grew up in my hometown, like he was from Kinnersy, Saskatchewan, so I went and saw him, and I said, look, here's what's going on, because I was drafted by, oh, what were their names, Chicago, it wasn't the Wolves, but Chicago something by the WHA at that time. Oh, I, yeah, so I forget. Going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I went in to see him, and uh, he says, where do you want to play? And I said, the New York Islanders, and here's why. Clark, you had been drafted by them. Right. Um, I knew Brian Trache. I knew Dave Lewis, who was already playing for them. I knew Lauren Henning. I knew a lot of the Saskatchewan guys. So he says, yeah, I, I want to play in New York. And there you and, go. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't half an hour, and he had the deal done with Bart Crashley and Larry Arnold. Yeah, Bart Crashley. We're going to have to find Bart Crashley, Bob. We're going to have to find him and get him on the program. Oh, I the see, great Bart Crashley. The best name ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. And he's that. such a nice guy, though. He's yeah. a good guy. Oh, man. Yeah. Bob Bourne with us tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, uh... Oh, I lost my train of thought. This has been a terrible night. Um, <laughs> you you were known for your blazing speed, Bob. Uh, to what do you attribute your skating prowess? Well, I was really fortunate once again. I grew up. I grew up on a farm, but we were two miles away from uh, this little town. There's maybe a hundred people, but all the dads built this building, like a shiplap building, and. Uh, they put in this ice rink, and my brother and I would go in there, and we would play every night. And like, I'm not kidding, from the time I was six years old to the time I was 12, and we would go in there and skate for hours and hours and hours. And um, my brother was so good, he and I would take on about 10 other guys, and uh, uh, and and we always won. It was it was. So I got to skate a lot. That that was the key. I got to skate a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so proud because my son, Justin, he's 38, and he sent me a picture today of his son, my grandson, uh, Charlie. And he's four and a half right now. But he's out there, in the, and he's skating, and it, it was... It looked like a uh, half between me and uh, Mr. Gillies because obviously <coughs> Clark is uh, uh, Justin married Clark's daughter. So right, you guys are related. That's a pre- pretty good pedigree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Two yeah, great hockey players. Funny. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Now we're talking about the Stanley Cup teams now, Bob. Let's talk about some of the guys involved with the Islanders uh, throughout those years. Give me your insight on Coach Al Arbor and what he meant to that team. Oh, my God. 
like he was like a second father to me. Like he uh, he was more of a psychiatrist than a coach. Like he all he, like he just he just worked all of a sudden and. Uh, I guess the best way to describe him, I'll tell you a story, is um, he came to me one day and he said, come to my office after the practice. And I'm scared to death. Uh-oh, me. yeah. You know, you, oh, it was just, okay, what's going to happen now? So, and I wasn't playing really good then. So I go in and he says, look, at uh, Trotch and Boss aren't playing real good right now and we want you to go in and uh, get them going. And I'm thinking in my own mind, I said, are you kidding me? You want, you know, Brian Trotsky and Mike Bossy, you want me to get them going? But anyway, <laughs> long story short, I had the best four or five games. Like, I got three points a game. It was great. And then all of a sudden, I'm I'm blacklisted. Like, I'm playing on the fourth line. And yeah. Stuff. So anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say, Al was brilliant. He would play as a mind. Um... He was such a nice man. Um, yeah, he was just—he was just a great coach, and he treated—he treated everyone the same, and that's why I loved the book. The great Al Arbor, certainly. Now, Billy yeah, Smith, Billy Smith, Bob was known as a money goalie. Now, give us a little insight into what that means, and uh, to what Billy Smith meant to the the, uh, the four-year run to the Cup. Well, Billy was always, like, even during the season, like, he, Billy was a very serious goalie. Like, he, mm-hmm. he came to play every night. Every night. And I'm not kidding you. But during the playoffs, it was like, it was like a lot of us. We kind of ramped it up. I know, I know my points per game are twice what they were during the season, during the playoffs. And Billy was the same way. Like, he just, Oh my goodness, he couldn't even approach him for two months. Like the guy was just in. <laughs> and we were all kind of locked in, but Billy really was. And, um, he would make saves that you just, you're sitting on the bench and you're saying, are you kidding me? And that's the way Smitty was. He was just, he was brilliant. Um, that he was. And, you know, yeah. the old goaltenders are a lot different than the new ones. Um, but he, I think he could even play today, and he was always in really good shape. Um, mm-hmm. No, I just love Billy. Now, we we look at Dennis Podfin on the blue line, Bob. Now, we've got Bob yeah. Bourne with us tonight on the program. He really uh, was the pioneer of being an offensive defenseman. I mean, he's, he, he played his defense as good as anybody, but he would also uh, come up and score goals for you. Yeah, Denny was brilliant. Um, you know, we played the Rangers so much in those days and the Flyers and all those teams. And But Denny, I don't know if ever, anyone remembers this, but the first year we won the Stanley Cup, the very first game in Chile, uh, Denny scored the overtime goal. But, yeah, he was – you know what made us really hard to play against was we had to play against the very best players in practice. Right. So, <laughs> and there's so many there's so many guys that no one remembers. And that's like a, a person or a Tommy Johnson or Gordy Lane or something. They were so good to play against in practice. It was so hard. Kenny Morrow. Uh, you know, th- those guys were so hard to play against, and Denny was kind of the leader, and um, we really loved that he uh, he kind of took control when he became captain, and uh, that was good with all of us. So, But I'll never forget playing with him, and, and he always knew where you're going to be, and... Um, you know, I didn't uh, wasn't prolific scorer, but there were times where I just knew Denny just would put it on your stick, and all you had to do was deflect it. He was brilliant, mm-hmm. uh, just a just an awesome player. You mentioned Bob, uh, and this guy's name comes up 
when you mentioned the unsung heroes of, of the Stanley Cup teams, and that's Stefan Pearson. He, he doesn't really get as much credit as he deserves. Oh, my God. I talk about this all the time. And, you know, someone asked me questions about that. Like, Stefan Pearson and Tommy Johnson, no one, no one knows their names. But they won four Stanley Cups. Anders Keller. Andy Keller. Who played yep. on uh, the right wing with me and Butchie. And uh, those guys get no credit. But they were brilliant. Every one of them. Tommy Tommy Johnson and, and Stefan were so hard to play against in practice. Kenny Amaro. Um, I learned so much from them. And that's what made me a, a better player. It was just, just playing against those guys. But... Uh, yeah, Stefan. Stefan got to play with uh, Dan Dennis, right? Right. And they were they were an unbelievable pairing. And uh, you know, when you stepped in the ice, I was never afraid of being scored against because those two were so brilliant. And uh, I played with Butchie so much, and he was brilliant. So. You know, it gave you freedom to go be the player you are, and that's that's why we became the team we are. You know, we were. Right. You had not only the superstars and the Hall of Famers, but you had the role players like like Pearson, like uh, and- Anders Caller, like you mentioned, guys like that. Now, well, like like um, like Dwayne Sutter or Billy Carroll or oh yeah, like those guys were they're huge for us. They were huge. And, you know, it's not like they're going to score, you know, 40, years, 40 goals a game every year. But, yeah, they were just, they were just so good. What what memorable moments or, or what one memory sticks out to you, Bob, uh, when we talk about the, uh, the, the drive, well, the uh, four cups? What moment? outshines all the rest to you? Would it be Bobby Nystrom's goal? Uh, what do you think? Okay, here's here's what it is, and it's kind of funny. Okay. My biggest memory is, you know, we led the league in points that year, uh, in 1980, well, 79, and we played Los Angeles, and they, they, they were not good. But they had Marcel Dion, they had David Taylor, and they had some, a lot of good players. And uh, we beat them stupid in the first game, like 8-3, and then they beat us on Long Island, like really badly. And so anyway, long story short, we beat them, but the biggest memory for me is going into Boston, and Boston had led the league in points out here, and they were the toughest team I ever saw. And guys like Clarkey and Bobby Nystrom and Gordy Lane and Gary Howitt and those guys stuck up and we had that huge brawl. And that's my biggest memory. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good one. We just had a brawl at the end of the first period and, um, actually we won the first game without anything going on, but the, that was the second game and we had that brawl and then, uh, um, I scored in overtime, right? Um, and then we we beat them. It was stupid. We beat them eight three at home, the third game, and, and that was the best team in hockey at the time. Boston was supposed to be the best team. Good club. And then we played yeah. Buffalo, and then we played the Flyers, and we won. And um, those are my best memories. Interesting, Bob. Bob Bourne with us tonight on the program. Mike Bossy. A great sniper, a great goal scorer, a Hall of Famer. If uh, he didn't have his back problems, Bob, how far do you think Mike would have gone? Oh, my God. That guy was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mike, I'm going to tell you a little story. When You know, in those years, we finished pretty high. So we always, you know, we had the pick in the draft. We had a lower pick all the time. So this guy's first round draft choice comes, and I'm watching him skate. Not a good skater at the time. And please believe me, he became a very good skater. Mm-hmm. 
But I'm watching this guy and saying, oh, my God, we just, you know, we drafted this dud again. And the very first game, our first regular season, we were in Buffalo, and they had a really good defensive team, and they had, of course, Perot and Martin, those guys. But we were tied 0-0 going late in the third period, and uh, Brian Trotsky drops a puck to Mike Bossy just inside the room. And you remember the little snapshot he had? It wasn't a slap shot, it was a snapshot. Right. And he scores, and two minutes later he scores again, 2 nothing, and we win. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this guy is unbelievable. <laughs> but he just became, yeah, he became unbelievable. Um, Mike was Mike was a, a supreme superstar, and he scored, what, 50 goals nine years ago, I think it was. Right, yeah. And if it wasn't for his back, yeah, he would have continued a great name, a great guy, Mike Bossy. Now, it, we should note, yeah. Bob, that your career didn't end with the Islanders. You, you were claimed by the uh, L.A. Kings on waivers in 86. You played two good years with the Kings, but uh, you won an award that is a very important award in the National Hockey League, and that's the Bill Masterson Trophy. Yeah, that was really special for me. Um, I... I I really didn't play well the first year out in L.A., and uh, I I miss the Islanders so much. But anyway, I got this award, and it was amazing to me, and I was standing like, I'll never forget uh, when they awarded it to me. It was, uh, I think, Mario Lemieux's Rookie of the Year. Uh, Gordy Howe was there, sitting on the dais with me, and then I'm just a fine kid from Saskatchewan thinking, <laughs> Wow, and uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was it was a real honor. Now, Bob, as we mentioned in in the opening, you are a member of the Islanders Hall of Fame, but your number fourteen doesn't hang from the rafters. Did they ever explain that to you? Why that's the case? No. No. Uh, yeah, I I got to be really careful here. Yeah, um, I understand. Yeah, sensitive, sensitive. Yeah. If you if you look at the points in the playoffs that I got compared to everyone else, and I'm talking to all the people in the rafters, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, it 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 really bothers me. My my jersey was up there for one year because I was in the Hall of Fame, but you know, here, here's the deal with me. I don't really care. Okay. But I do know I gave as much in the playoffs as every player that's up in the rafters. And my point production will prove that to you. Mm-hmm. And no one no one knows that. Right. Like, my point production was at least twice as much as it was during the season. And here's why. Um, I was one of those players that... I could play right wing, I could play center, I could play left wing. I even played defensive a few games. And Al always counted on me. So it was easy for him if somebody was hurt. Like Mike Bossy was hurt, you know, for 20 games or whatever. Whoever was hurt, I took that place. So, yeah. Yeah, it still bothers me. Yeah, understood, Bob. Certainly, that's why I, I wanted to bring it up. And uh, I, I think uh, people should be aware of that, that uh, Bob Bourne deserves his number 14 hanging from the rafters at the Coliseum. Speaking of the Coliseum, Bob, <clears throat> excuse me, you're aware that the guys are back there for one last year, right? Yeah, I'm aware. Yeah. yeah that's so awesome. Yeah. The, barn, the old barn on Hempstead Turnpike still rocking, Bob. <laughs> well, I love it so much because, like, uh, as I said, like, you know, Clarky's daughter married my son, so right. I I I talked to Clark quite a bit, and so he can go to the games now, and he loves the Coliseum. Like we we just love the Coliseum, and the feeling when you go in there is just huge. It's unfortunate the you know you can only see thirteen thousand fans, but mm-hmm. uh, that building 
I follow it all the time in Belmont. Like I see what they're doing. Yeah. It's going to be huge for the Islanders. It's going to be huge for the league. Um, and, and I think that, you know, whoever is managing the money there, like you get some free agents and build a better team. And I think it's going to be so awesome because Long Island, it's such a great place to live. Like we loved it. I loved it, and I know my uh, my ex wife misses it. I miss it. My boys miss it. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I loved it there. Well, rightfully so, Bob, and and uh, you did a great job for us when you were here. And you're right, the new arena will be uh, really great for the Islanders. It would be tremendous when that is completed. And the old barn will just, uh, who knows what will happen to it, but uh, there's a lot of memories in that old building, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, that building is so awesome. I mean, I know every crevice, I know every person. You know, we got to be such good friends with uh, all the security people. Oh, yeah, right. Um, all, the, all the people who made the ice and stuff, and uh, we seriously got to be friends. And, uh, yeah, I miss all that. I really miss it. One guy wanted me to say hello to you tonight, Bob, is, is uh, the great writer that covered you guys, Patrick Calabria. Oh, I love that man so much. He became one of our really good friends. And, you know, Patty, Patty was a really good writer, really good. Uh-huh. But he never, he never, you know, he never put pressure on us. He never did any, like, you know, and trust me, <laughs> Patty got a lot of inside scoops because, um, because we were friends. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, he was uh, as good a friend of, of mine as uh, a player next to me, so. I love, uh, I love Pat Well, he's listening in, and you, you just sent him your regards, and we're happy, Bob. We were happy to have you with us. It's a pleasure uh, always to speak with you, and I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend some of it with us out here in Long Island. Anytime, Bill. You just call me anytime. You take care, Bob. That's Bob Bourne, folks. That'll do it you for me tonight on later. Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Doug Sisk and Bob Bourne, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you folks for joining us. Rob Zimmerman coming up next, so please stay put. See you next on March 7th, hopefully, after the knee surgery. Uh, hope everything goes well. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.